Amen. You can be seated. Well, happy Easter. There you go. Happy Easter. Hey, if you didn't know, if you just walked in, we're celebrating that Jesus is alive. That's why we're here this morning. I'm excited that you have joined us to do that with us. I'm excited we get to do that together as a church family. If you're new, we're excited that you're joining us. And listen, I know there's a wide variety of people in this room. I know that there's some of you who believe in Jesus as the risen Lord, that you worship him that way, not just on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday and every day of your life. I know that those people are in this room, but I also know there's another category of people in this room. I know that there's some of you who this is what you do on Easter. You go to church. Maybe your spouse brought you. Maybe you did it because you promised her you would. Maybe your roommate did that for you. And maybe you just showed up and you think, I'll go through the motions and after maybe get some food from the food truck. And honestly, if that's you, we're glad you're here as well. And I think there's a third category of people that are here, and that's people who honestly just don't know Jesus. Maybe you came because somebody invited you. Maybe you came because you heard there was an Easter egg hunt. But maybe you came because there's an emptiness in your life that you don't know how to fill, that you've tried in other ways and, and other things, and you can't feel it. And you don't even know why you're here, but you, you think something, something might happen today that would fill that emptiness. Uh, you need to know that I'm glad you're here. But no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter your position, your preferences, your personality, we all have the opportunity today to respond to a person. His name is Jesus Christ. But in that, we all have two things. We all have a problem and we all have a solution that we all face, that we can all consider this morning. So that's what we're going to get into as we look at God's word. So I invite you to grab a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And as you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we'll also have it on the screen. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I do thank you for the different categories of people in this room. I thank you for each person in this room. I pray right now that they would know that however they came here, that you brought them here. That this isn't an accident. No matter their position, no matter their profession, no matter their preference, that the person of Jesus Christ is alive, and that changes everything. So God, I pray that you would change us right now by your spirit, through your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, look at your text if you have it. If you don't, you can look on the screen. We're going to get right to it. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul, inspired by God through the Holy Spirit, and this is what he says. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all we once lived, and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So there's a problem and solution we all face this morning, but to, before we can get to the solution, we have to first accurately assess the problem. Most of us would agree that there is a problem. Like, I don't think anybody walks in here this morning thinking, I have it all figured out. All of us walk in here this morning, we want more of something. We want something in our life to be right. We look at our lives and we just think something is off. If you think about it, that's why we make New Year's resolutions at the beginning of the year. Because we know, I need to get a little bit fitter, right? Something's wrong with the belly. We know, I need to 
spend time with my wife. We know I need to get my finances in order. And all these things in our life that something is off. And we think, I wish there was more. There's got to be more. There's got to be a solution to this problem. So I think we would all agree that there's a problem. I think where we differ is the nature of the problem. How bad is it? How bad is our problem? And this is important for us to grasp because the magnitude of our problem is directly related to the magnitude of the solution. Like if you think about that with any problem, right? So if uh, my daughter comes to me and she gets a cut and she gets a boo-boo, she's probably going to need a Band-Aid, right? That'll probably fix it. But if you get a cold, then you're probably going to need a little bit more than a Band-Aid. In fact, a Band-Aid would be useless for a cold. But if you have a cold, you're probably going to need some medicine, right? If you get cancer, you're probably going to need treatments, surgery, hospital visits, specialists, and on and on you go. But if you're dead, you're going to need a miracle. You see that? So we have to understand the magnitude of our problem if we're going to understand the magnitude of our solution. And what we see in the Bible is that when God looks for a way to describe our condition, that he uses the image of dead. Paul says that in verse 1, and you were dead. I remember my first encounter with death. I was about six years old. It was about 3 a.m., the middle of the night. My parents come in the room. They wake me up, and they pull me out into the hallway, and they explained to me that my grandfather had passed away. I vividly remember them talking to me about it. It was my first encounter with death. We drove to their house. It was about an hour and a half away, and I remember sitting in that empty house, and there was an emptiness, and there was a sadness that I'd never felt in my life. I remember going to the funeral a few days later, and seeing my grandfather's body in this casket. And I remember as a six-year-old kid, I was waiting for him to blink. I was waiting for him to move. He looked like my grandfather, but he looked a little bit different. And he didn't blink, and he didn't move. And there was a sense of finality that I'd never experienced before. Some of you who have experienced death of a family member, of a friend, you know that. You know what that feels like. You know that feeling of Something is wrong. Like this shouldn't be the way that it is. And you know that it's something is wrong. Some of you might say, what's all this talk about death? I mean, isn't it Easter Sunday? Isn't it supposed to be about pastels and bunnies? Isn't Jesus alive? Why do we have to talk about death? Listen, if you don't rightly diagnose your condition, you'll try to fix with medicine what can only be fixed with a miracle. We have to understand our condition. Listen, a lot of you here this morning, you're trying to find inadequate solutions to fix a deep, deep problem in your life, a problem of death. And they were never designed to fix that. So some of you are going to substances, sex, status, to try to fix a problem, and they're never meant to fix that. They're temporary fixes, and what you need is an eternal solution. We have to understand our condition, that we are dead. And that's how Paul describes this, that we're dead. Look at the verse, verse 1. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're dead in our trespasses. That we've gone to places we should never have gone, right? 
We've done things, we've sinned, we've done things we were never created to do. We've gone outside of God's will for our lives. We've trespassed, we've sinned, and now we're dead. In verses 2 and 3, look at those verses. Verses 2 and 3, we see what this looks like. That we follow the world, that we follow the prince of the power of the air, that we live in the passions of our flesh. So we follow the world, that's our environment, that the world is corrupt. We follow the prince of the power of the air. We don't have time to unpack that this morning, but that means we follow Satan and demons, that they exist. There's evil around us, but there's also evil within us. We live in the passions of our flesh. I don't know if you saw this on the news recently. I was at the gym running on the treadmill, and I was watching CNN, and they were interviewing a couple people. They had a a panel set up, and they were talking about the Lufthansa flight that crashed into a mountain. And news came that potentially the co-pilot locked the other pilot out of the cabin. And that maybe somebody had some video of this. It was, it was honestly quite disturbing as I'm running on the treadmill. Um, and I'm watching this, and they have a psychologist, they have another guy, and they're all trying to find a cause. They're all trying to find a source for this problem. Right? That somebody shouldn't fly a plane into a mountain. There's 149 people in that plane. That shouldn't happen. CNN, these guys are debating this, and the psychologist is talking about clinical depression, that potentially he had had that and was diagnosed with that way before, and they still hired him as a pilot. I don't know if you've seen the story. And at one point, the, the host on CNN says this. She says, I get that. I know people struggle with depression. There's all sorts of things that people struggle with and hurt themselves But why, how do you explain killing 149 people? Like, that just doesn't make sense. And the psychologist basically said this. He said, that is beyond the scope of what we can clinically explain, that he talked about it being evil. Of course, he quickly corrected himself and said, listen, I'm not talking about religion. And really, ultimately, you need to go home and you need to decide what you think it is. You need to label it. But his first response is that we can't clinically explain that, that it's only due to evil. Listen, there's an evil within you. There is an evil around you. That it plagues us. That it leads to death and trespasses and sins. You see, this problem would be easier to eradicate. If there was a group of people over there that we could just eradicate to an island and exile, right? Just get all the evil people, put them over there. And then they wouldn't harm anybody. But listen to what Jesus says in Mark 7. There's a problem within us. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. There's a problem around us. There's a problem within us. And then Paul says in verse 3, look at the verse. This is a problem we all once lived in. Some of you are thinking, I'm not that bad. I would never intentionally crash an airplane. I would never murder someone. I would never commit adultery. I'm not that bad. I'm not one of these people that Jesus talks about. I'm not one of these people Paul talks about. This Lutonza flight just totally just scares you and makes you feel weird inside. You just think, I would never do that. Maybe you even said that as like, how could he do that? I would never do that. But listen, Jesus also says in Matthew 5, you are to be perfect. 
You are to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard. Listen, dead is dead. Some of us just smell nicer. Some of us just have more respectable sins. Dead is dead. It's a massive problem. It's a massive problem that affects each and every person in this room, including myself. Listen, but, you need to hear this, but, but, we keep reading. The best, the most glorious transitional phrase in all of the Bible. We're about to read it. Look at the verse with me. Verse 4. It says, but God. Listen, not you, not your merit, not your Christian t-shirts, not your good works, not your church attendance, not your tithing, not your Christian verbiage, not you, but who? God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. You can't measure it. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Listen, there's a problem that's worse off than you could ever imagine. But praise God, there's a solution that is far greater than you could ever dream. You see that unpacked in these verses This is the Christian message. This is our solution, that we were dead and Jesus has made us alive. That's the Christian message. That's why we celebrate on Easter that Jesus was dead and he was made alive. That's why we do baptism. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate baptism in this tank over here. Maybe you've seen that before and not really understood what that's about. The reason we celebrate baptism is we celebrate that we have gone from death to life that we were dead and capable of doing anything on our own, and by grace, through faith, out of his rich mercy, out of his immeasurable grace, that he reaches down and he saves us, and we become alive. That's what we celebrate. That's the Christian message. That's why you're here for Easter. You may not know that, but it is. Some of you are here, and you're skeptical. Maybe you've heard all of this. Maybe you've heard it all your life, and you don't buy it. You don't buy it because you don't buy the resurrection. Maybe you think, well, we'll hunt Easter eggs, we'll have food trucks, we'll have bouncy houses, we'll have photo booth, take a nice picture with the family. But this is a farce. This is a scam. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's a family member of yours. Listen, we don't have time to prove the resurrection this morning in 30 minutes. But I would just implore you to think about it, to think about it from a little bit different angle. You need to know that no one in history disputes the fact that Jesus died. Almost no one. Most everybody will say there was a man named Jesus. If you watch Nat Geo, if you watch CNN, if if they do these stories, almost everyone will say there was a guy named Jesus. He was probably a good teacher. He was a good guy. He was a, a mover and a shaker. And then he died. 
right? So non-Christians and, and other people will say, Jesus was real and he died. No one disputes that. What they dispute is what? The resurrection. Like, did he come back to life? He did. Amen. You can clap for that. That's good. I'm glad you know that. Um, so everybody knows he died. Everybody in Scripture, they, they pointed out who carried the cross, who went to his grave. They had extra guards around the grave. I don't know if you know much about those tombs, but they were really heavy, and the stone would have been really hard to roll away because it was Jesus. You've got to understand there's a lot of people. There's Jewish people. There's other people who don't like Jesus. Right? They yelled out, crucify him. So they wanted to make sure all these proclamations, all these declarations of I'm going to rise on the third day, they wanted to make sure that Jesus is found out, not as Lord, but as a liar and a lunatic. So you have all these people that want to find that out. How do the disciples, fishermen, who didn't get a lot of stuff, right, how are all they, this, they are all of a sudden escape artists? Right? And that's what people will say is that, well, yeah, he died, the body was gone, we couldn't find it because the disciples stole the body. So the fishermen who, they were just, you know, they were trying hard, um, just like we would, to be honest, and they rolled the stone away. They defeated all those guards, this stone that was huge. They, they were able to snatch the body. So let's, let's even just think about that for a minute. Do you know what happens with the disciples? Almost all of them go on to be martyred for the risen Christ. Listen, you don't do that for a self-made falsehood. You don't do that because you feel bad about Jesus dying. You don't go on to give your life and to proclaim this knowing you could be arrested, betrayed, even killed. You don't do that for a self-made falsehood, especially these doubting disciples. As you go on to read Acts, listen, there's a stark contrast between the Gospels and Acts. These doubting disciples turn into bold proclaimers. Peter, I mean, just think about Peter. He says, I don't know Jesus. That's not me. You got the wrong guy right before Jesus dies. And yet in Acts, Peter is proclaiming Jesus boldly, powerfully. We see in Scripture so many people come to know Jesus through that message. How does that happen? Have you ever thought about that? If it's just they stole the body, they saw something happen. They saw something that completely transformed every avenue and aspect of their life. And they were never the same. And the people they proclaimed to were never the same. And 2,000 years later, were never the same. Today, depending on your time zone, there are billions of people doing what we're doing right now. Why is that? Why are people still talking about Jesus? Why are those Nat Geo episodes of, is Jesus alive? Is Jesus Lord? Why are they still running? Like, why is the Bible the most best-selling book in history? Why? Because Jesus didn't just die. He rose again. Listen, if you're skeptical this morning, if you have friends and family that are skeptical, I cannot prove the resurrection to you. I can't. Especially not in 30 minutes. But I would implore you, I would challenge you to take another look, to consider this with fresh eyes, to stop making excuses, to read whatever you need to read, but ultimately... I want you to experience the love of God that was demonstrated so perfectly, 
through the death of Christ, but also his resurrection. That's what we see in verse 4. We see because of his great love. Look at verse 4. Because of his great love. Love is a concept that gets watered down in our culture, but you need to know that the love of God is greater than any love you have ever seen. You don't have to turn there now, but we see a picture of God's great love in Romans 8. Romans 8 says that God didn't spare his own son. He gave him up. He didn't spare his own son. God gave up his only son for you because he loved you. Listen, I have two kids, and I have a son, um, and I can't imagine giving him up. I can think about scenarios in which I'm in a coffee shop, somebody comes and steals my phone or my wife's phone, and she's like, get him. And I run after him, and I'm like, I will sacrifice for my wife. I'll give up myself, right? I can think about those scenarios. Some of you men, you know you think about that. Um, I can think about all those scenarios. I can think about what it would be like to give up myself. I can imagine what it would be like to give up my two-and-a-half-year-old son. The other night, we were uh, playing board games, and, uh, which is a challenge with my two-and-a-half-year-old son, and my daughter gets really frustrated. Uh, you can hear that by her laughter. And we were making it our way through a second board game because Ashwin, my two-and-a-half-year-old, had thrown all the pieces on the floor. And the second game has less pieces, but that didn't hold him back. He gets those pieces. He takes them apart, throws them on the floor, right? <laughs> And then uh, we just gave up, right? Like sometimes the two-and-a-half-year-old wins, and we say, let's play hangman. Because that only involves a pen and a paper. You can't mess that up, right? You would think. Um, so we're playing hangman, and we're trying to guess letters and words. I don't know if you've played it before, but uh, we're trying to guess these letters and words, and we're guessing different things. And my son just yells out, Tony Romo! Two-and-a-half years old. And honestly, I don't know why. I mean, I do know why a little bit. I'm a Cowboys fan. But I, I don't know why my two-and-a-half-year-old knew Tony Romo and in the context of hangman. Like, I can't explain it, right? But I'm sitting there, and I just laughed. Man, I just laughed. And it was one of those moments where I just realized I love my son, not just because he knows who Tony Romo is. But a big percentage is, that why, is the reason why. Um, and so many other reasons why I love my son. Listen, I love you. I love you. If you're in our church, if you've been with us since we started, we started this church because we love you. We want you to know the love of Jesus. If you're new today, I love you. I'm glad you're here. I don't know you, but I love you, and I want you to know the love of Christ. But listen, I don't know that I would give my son for you. I don't know. But that's exactly what God does. That's exactly what God did. It's the ultimate demonstration of love. It's a love like we've never seen in history, like we can't duplicate or replicate. It only comes from God the Father, through his Son, by his Spirit. That's the love that I want you to experience this morning, and it's a love that doesn't just save you. Listen, if you know Jesus, if you're tracking with me and saying, I believe in Jesus, I know he's the risen Christ, I believe that, but sometimes I struggle if you know that, you need to know that his love doesn't just save you, but it keeps you. We see that later in Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 38. Uh, you can just listen. It says this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. He runs out of words. 
just to cover everything, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So your successes and your failures, your strengths and your weakness, your, your prosperity and your poverty, your life and your death, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. If you know Jesus, if you have believed in him, his death and his resurrection, that is true for you this morning. Listen, it's not a trite statement. It's not just something we say on Easter to make ourselves feel good. We believe that God in the flesh died for you. That's a really big deal. That he didn't stay dead, that he rose again, and that he conquered sin and death. That this death problem that we have, Jesus took that upon himself. Being fully God, but also fully man, he took the penalty for your death. He died the death that you deserved. And he rose, conquering sin, Satan, and the grave. Amen? Amen. That is what you step into. That is what keeps you. That is what keeps you till you die. That is what keeps you for eternity. This love of Christ. So how do we get this? If you don't have it, how do you get it? Verses 7 through 9 in Ephesians 2 tell us. It says all of this happens by grace through faith. It's a gift we receive. How do we go from death to life? We clean up our act. You start coming to church. You start walking in the right direction. Maybe you're hearing some of these things and you're like, yeah, I guess I should clean up this. I should fix this. I should talk to this person. I should forgive this person. Maybe you're thinking all those things and you're thinking all those things will help. That maybe if I become a better person. Listen, Jesus doesn't want to make you a better person. He wants to make you an alive person. That only happens by grace through faith. I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in the church, and uh, what was interesting is I would hear analogies a lot of, of swimming in the ocean and how that's related to how God saves us. What, what's interesting in verses 4 and 5 is that you see that all this happens by grace through faith. God rich in his mercy, he saves us. All of this happens in verses 4 and 5 while you were dead. Do you see that? Even when you were dead, verse 5. And as I would hear these analogies of uh, swimming in the ocean, and uh, one of them, a uh, popular one I would hear would be that we're swimming along in the ocean and that life's really hard and we have to navigate around sin, we have to navigate around other, other religions, we have to navigate around physical pain and emotional pain and, and even spiritual pain. And you're swimming through the ocean, you're dodging those things and those waters and the storm is hitting and it's really difficult and God throws out a life vest. He throws out this life vest, and, and you're able to maneuver. If you work hard enough, you're able to maneuver and grab that life vest and put it on and snap it in, and that God saves you. Another analogy I would hear a lot would be that um, it's a little worse off than that. You're swimming, and you're trying to navigate those tough waters and those storms, but you can't do it, and you begin to drown. And as you're drowning, just in the nick of time, God throws out the lifesaver, it hits right around the neck. You pull yourself up on it, and he pulls you in to the shore. You need to know that those analogies are incomplete. That you're not swimming, you're not drowning. That scripture teaches us, this passage teaches us, that you are dead at the bottom of the ocean you are dead, lifeless, and cold at the bottom of the ocean, and that God, but God, rich in his mercy and his love and his immeasurable grace, he reaches down to the depths, that he picks up your dead body, that he lifts you up, and he breathes life into your lifeless body. 
That's what we see in this text. That's what we see in Scripture. If you're a Christian, that's what you have experienced. And listen, some of you are thinking, well, you're just saying this because you're a pastor. I mean, this is your job to say this kind of stuff. Listen, you need to know that there was a point in my life. I was 19 years old. Um, I was in Romania, and I, was, I found my way on a mission trip. I don't know how they let me in, but I wasn't walking closely with God. Honestly, it was a miracle. I made it. I got my, back when it was easy to get a passport and things like that, uh, I was able to maneuver that and, and get on this trip like two months in advance. And I go on this trip, and there's this guy in, in Romania named Bogdan. Bogdan. And I um, start talking to him about Jesus. I had no clue what I was saying. I grew up in the church, but I didn't really know uh, scripture or the gospel. And I'm talking to Bogdan, and he is agitated. You talk to people like this, I mean, they're just combative about Jesus. They don't want to even hear it. He was completely disinterested in Jesus. Kept talking, and I began to see a change in Bogdan, and he would ask questions, and I'd be like, why are you asking this question? You trying to trick me? Or, and sometimes he was, right? Sometimes he was being antagonistic, but I would point him to Scripture. I would ask people, like, hey, he's asking this. What do you think about this? They would go, and he would read these Scriptures, and he would come back, and he'd be like, that makes sense. And I would say, really? Okay, <laughs> fantastic. Um, and listen, after a course of like seven days, I saw God change a guy who had no interest in Jesus, who didn't even believe God existed. I saw a guy pray and say, God, I don't understand this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I believe in you and I trust you. A few days later after that, I was in a church in Romania, and we were singing an old worship song from the 90s um, <laughs> that said this. It said, light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes and let me see. Maybe we should bring that one back. Maybe not. But I was singing this worship song, and I had just seen my friend Bogdan go from death to life, Right? I'd just seen him go from death to life. I grew up in the church my whole life. And honestly, I don't even know. I was singing this song, and I was like, that's true. The light of the world did step down into the darkness. That he opened my eyes. He didn't just open Bogdan's eyes. He opened my eyes, and I understood that in a way that I never understood before. I came home. I switched my major. I saved money to go to seminary. Never thought about doing that before. And I just knew that I want to devote my entire life to this, to seeing people go from death to life, to seeing myself go from death to life, to seeing other people tell other people that they can go from death to life, that God who is rich in mercy because of his great love and his immeasurable grace can pluck us out of the depths and breathe life into our lifeless body. Maybe you're thinking, I can't relate. Listen, the only reason I stand before you today is because of God opening my eyes. Because by grace, through faith, he saved me. That's what I invite you into today. Listen, if you've grown up in the church, I'm not talking about doing better things. I'm not talking about coming to church more often. I'm not talking about going to more Bible studies. I'm not talking about wearing a Christian t-shirt. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about throwing up empty hands of faith and saying, God, I have a problem. It's deeper than I thought. It's worse than I thought. But you have a solution that's greater than I ever dreamed. It's throwing up empty hands of faith and saying, God, save me. I am dead. I need to be brought to life. Listen, if you've never done that, 
We invite you into that this morning. Jesus doesn't want you to be a better person. He wants you to be an alive person. That's what he offers you today. That's his love, his mercy, and his grace. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I I pray for these men and women. Um, I pray that if they would honestly assess their condition and diagnose their condition and say that they're dead, I pray, God, that they would not stay in that condition, that they would see a solution in Jesus Christ. And honestly, if, if that's you, I would just ask you to look up at me. You don't have to do this, but if that's you, I would just ask you to look up at me at I don't know what brought you here um, this morning. I don't know if it was your spouse. I don't know if it was the festivities afterwards. Um, But I know that you're not here by accident. I know that God's love is reaching out to you, that he wants to save you. He wants to pluck you from the depths. In the midst of your sin, in the midst of your death, even while you're dead, he wants to pull you out of that. Romans It says that just at the right time, while you were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. That's available to you this morning. You need to simply, like I said, throw up empty hands of faith. Just tell God that. Listen, there's no magical words. You can stop listening to me, and you can start talking to God. And throw up empty hands of faith and say, God, I have a problem. It's far worse than I ever could imagine. And I need you. I need a solution that's in Jesus Christ, that you died for me, you rose again for me, so that I could be forgiven and so that I could have new life. That's what I invite you into this morning. If that's you, you can stop listening to me, start talking to God, tell him that. And then after you do that, we would love, there's some men and women in the aisles that would love just to talk with you. They have lanyards on that say, I can help. They would love to talk with you, answer any questions that you may have. Listen, if you don't have this figured out, if you're like, hey, I'm not ready for that yet, that's totally fine. We have some really nice men and women that would just love to process that with you. Uh, If you just made that decision, if you just threw up empty hands of faith and said, God, I believe in you, I want new life in you, we would love to baptize you. That's what we celebrate in baptism, that we've gone from death to life. So we invite you to do that in a few moments. Let me, again, just pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for those that believe in you and worship you as the risen Christ. I pray that they would know that the love of Christ keeps them, that nothing can separate them from it. And God, I pray for our friends that are maybe new to this thing and maybe exploring Christianity, exploring the church. Maybe they have a lot of bitter feelings toward it and toward you. I pray that you would break down those walls even now by the power of your spirit that they would come to a place where they would recognize that they're dead and that only you bring life. And they would give their life to you, that today, this Easter, wouldn't just be another Easter full of candies and bunnies. That it would be full of life in Jesus Christ. God, that's our prayer. I pray that if they have questions, they would go to these men and women in these aisles. I pray that they would ask those questions. They would talk through that with some people before they leave, with the person that brought them with me, that they would make that decision before They leave today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.